Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Okay, you're good. You're good. Uh, welcome. It's so good to have everybody here this morning. Uh, my name is Michael, and it is a privilege to be sharing God's Word this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. Excuse me, Mark. Some of you were like, oh, yes, we're doing something different. No, sorry. I just got my M's confused. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And of course, you can also find that on your Bible app if you use that. So before we get started, or as we get started, a couple of quick announcements. Number one, we're uh, still looking for a VBS decorating team leader, as far as I know. So if you are interested in helping decorate the sanctuary and foyer for our VBS coming up at the end of July, be uh, excited to have you get in contact with Missy or myself, and uh, we will provide the materials. We just need somebody who wants to lead that and be creative. Uh, our destination dig VBS theme is all about um, like archaeology and stuff. So I was thinking maybe a big rock over there, and if you took something off a pedestal, the rock ran down after you, or I don't know. It, it'd be cool that way. So just however it works, uh, and of course there'll be music playing in the foyer. Dun, 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 dun. So um, maybe not. Uh, second thing is adult Sunday school that meets just before service at 930 uh, to about 1045. They are wrapping up a series today. In fact, they finished and are beginning next week a new series that's going to be through the book of Nehemiah. But before getting into Nehemiah, Steve, our elder and teacher of the Sunday school class, he is going to be uh, doing a an overview of the Old Testament from Exodus to Jesus. And so um, if you ever wondered how does this history fit together, what goes on between the time of Exodus and Jesus, drop into that class. If you've got a young one with you, they're welcome. Uh, kids who are in elementary school, we can find them a room to burn or do or tear down. It's all good uh, until we, uh, <laughs> uh, just so you can participate in any way. Sorry, uh, my flow's off. I'll get there, I promise. You guys who know me, you're like, it's Michael. A um, couple of other quick things. We're excited. Jay, Piano Jay, uh, worship leader Jay, is working to help coordinate a new ministry, a new group called 1829. And uh, you might ask, who is that for? It's for everybody from 18 to 29. Uh, we tried to make it as obvious as possible just so nobody had to guess. And uh, if you are interested in this, well, we're looking to meet the first time, April 30th, and you can be married, you can be single, just between those magic numbers of 18 and 29, and the goal is to gather together to spend some time with peers and a couple of mentors, answer Bible questions, fellowship together. We look to try and make this a fairly regular thing. In fact, we're planning on it being the first and third Fridays of every month after we kick off April 30th. So if you're interested, pull out your phone and text 1829 to that phone number, 724-260-6213, and we will make sure to get you included on the updates, including what to bring for any of our meetings, as well as, as, well as where the next meeting will be, what we'll be talking about, and where we'll, you'll find us. So, um, and then finally... For everybody who's interested, but especially our ministry leaders and our leadership team, we have been talking about Sunday school. And, and not just Sunday school for one group of adults, but trying to pray about and see if God would have us to institute church-wide Sunday school where everyone of all age groups would have a class to attend in the hour before the service. And we want your input. And some of you might be very opinionated, and we would love to hear it. Some of you couldn't care less. And that's okay, you don't need to come to this. But everybody, leadership should be there, and everybody who's interested in just talking about the concept of Sunday school. And some of you might wonder, why do we need Sunday school? Why do we need something else going on at the church? And let me tell you, it's because 
the uh, elders really feel like that many of us are missing out on opportunities to connect with one another. And the Sunday service is great, but a lot of times all you see of others is the back of their heads. Um, and, and so we want you to actually be face-to-face with some of your brothers and sisters, discussing scripture, learning and growing together. And we decided the best way to do that is not trying to cram people into things in midweek, but to ask you to come just a little bit early, have something for everyone in that hour, and spend some time together. So if you're interested in helping us just kind of talk through some things, it'll be Sunday, May the 2nd, from 5.30 to 7 p.m. We'll have a cookout foods. We'll have videos running in the room for the kids, and they can go play, and we'll have a couple of teenagers to help corral them. Uh, But we want to talk about Sunday school and why we think it's important and hear your feedback, whether you think it'll work or not. Uh, Because if we say, let's do Sunday school, and all of you say, we're not coming, then it will be kind of a waste. So we want to we make sure that you understand what the goal is and what we're working toward. So if you've got your Bibles, of course, they need to be open to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We are continuing our series entitled The Christ. And remember, the whole Gospel of Mark is to bring us to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Mark wrote with an agenda. He was recording history, but his agenda was to tell us that Jesus of Nazareth, he is the Christ, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the very Son of God incarnate. And last week, we talked about a a couple of encounters that Jesus had with some religious leaders of his day and how they questioned his authority and they questioned how it is that he came to, to come and teach and be and do and he really revealed to them that he was the, 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 the son of the king, the son of the landowner who was going to hold his people accountable. And then they tried to trick him about taxes and uh, asked him, you know, should we pay our taxes? And Jesus asked for a denarius and, and looked. And we looked at a denarius, a picture of it last week, and saw that it has a picture of Tiberius Caesar on it. And, and so Jesus says to the people who are trying to trick him, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God the things that are God's. And when we look at ourselves, we are created in the image of God. And just like that coin, the denarius, had the image of Caesar, and because of that belonged to him according to the law, each of us with the image of God imprinted on us from creation belong fully to God. And what does he deserve? What should we give him? What authority does he have in our life? Well, we should give him everything, and he has all authority because we are created in his image. And so that brings us to the next encounter that Jesus has with some other religious leaders. And so if you've got your Bible open, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27 is what we'll be looking at today. So read along with me if you will. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, But leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So in this encounter with Sadducees, Jesus teaches us and teaches them some things. Remember, this encounter likely happened in the temple, there in the courtyard of the Gentiles, or out in what was called Solomon's porch, out in the colonnade around the temple. This is where people gathered to discuss religious things there in Jesus' day. And this is the week leading up to both Passover and the crucifixion. And Jesus is coming and sharing some of his final teaching points with both his disciples and everyone there in Jerusalem. And so when these Sadducees come to him, 
like the Pharisees and the Herodians in the previous section, they are looking to set Jesus up. They are looking to get him to say something that will cause division, to make people not like him, to make people declare him a heretic or you know, something other than who he is and what he came to do. So they come to him, these Sadducees, and they ask him about resurrection. Now, what's interesting about Sadducees is they are the aristocratic, upper-class, priestly group of people. In fact, the Sadducees would have been most of the people who were on uh, a, a body called the Sanhedrin, which is what sat over judgment, or over Jesus in judgment just prior to his crucifixion. They ran the temple. They were really in charge. But some interesting things about what they believed, they rejected the idea of resurrection or coming back to life physically in the end times. They rejected the idea of angels. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in a future judgment. In fact, they more or less rejected everything supernatural other than God himself. The things that they did accept, well, they accepted the Pentateuch. And some of you might be wondering, what is that? Well, it's a really nice, like, dime word for the first five books of the Old Testament. The Pentateuch. Uh, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that was, to them, that was the only inspired scripture. The rest of the Old Testament, the prophets and the writings, did not carry the same authority as the Pentateuch. And, of course, they had a, a faith in God, the, the God of the Hebrew people, Yahweh. They accepted him. They walked with him. They believed in him. But they were very kind of guarded in their beliefs and a little bit more materialistic or physical than other groups of Jews. And so these leaders, these Sadducees, they come to Jesus. They don't believe in the supernatural apart from God himself. They don't believe in the resurrection. So, of course, it makes sense that they ask him about resurrection, right? That makes perfect sense. We don't really believe in this, Jesus. But what's interesting is there was another group called the Pharisees, and they absolutely did believe in physical bodily resurrection. And so the Sadducees are trying to set Jesus up in a way that will create division amongst the Jewish people who are following him because of his views on resurrection. So they ask Jesus a question. They say that Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So that is an actual Old Testament rule. And we, we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, and a little bit following. And it, it's called leveret marriage. And, and what it says, literally, if, a brother, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son, son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. The whole intent of this practice was to make certain that property and possessions and wealth stayed within a family. So that, for instance, uh, if I had passed away before our firstborn, uh, and my brother then would have taken my place, aren't you glad I survived? Yeah, um, and my brother would have taken my place, in, and the, the firstborn of that union would have been counted as my son, and he would have taken over my possessions, my land. So what, at that point, he would have gotten like a box of books and some transformers. And, um, you know, that was like all my worldly wealth when, I, when, when, when we had our firstborn. So anyway, the, the, the point is, is it was to preserve the lineage of every Jewish family, to make certain that land stayed within a family, to make certain that wealth stayed within a family. So this was not just a practice for the people of Israel in this day and age, but it was actually a fairly common practice within Middle Eastern culture. And so this leveret marriage existed not just in Israel, but in all of the surrounding people groups in order to keep families and lineages intact and to see that land and, prop and, and uh, possessions were passed down generation to generation. So these Sadducees come to Jesus and they say, we have this rule. 
Now we've got a very specific question for you, Jesus. According to this rule, this, this wife should go from brother to brother until someone provides for her first husband an heir. But we've got this interesting scenario in which seven brothers, each of them have her as wife, none of them have an offspring with her. Who will she be married to when everybody's resurrected? Who will she be married to when everybody's resurrected? Now, why do we see this and kind of go, we know they're trying to set Jesus up. What, what do the Sadducees believe about resurrection? Well, it's not going to happen. So this question is, is kind of one of those, we've, those of us who've had kids, you know you get questions like this just to make you angry, right? They just want to prod you. Uh, justice was always how because. And um, he never said why. It was how because. How because? How because? The Sadducees are asking Jesus, how because? We just want to poke you. We want to prod you. We want to understand. We want to try and cause trouble for you. So they set up this scenario, and it's interesting. They're, they're actually, there's a book called Tobit, and it was written between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, between the time of the last prophet Malachi and Jesus' arrival on the scene. And, and we call it um, a, a part of the, the Apocrypha, a, a deuterocanonical book. I just like, like nickel words today. They're fun. Um, uh, you can use them in Scrabble, deuterocanonical. See if you can spell that. Um, and and uh, I think it's like a triple score word, probably. And, and so you, it's deuterocanonical. It happened in history, uh, written between the last prophet and Jesus. And it's in Tobit 3.8. There's actually a story of a woman named Sarah who had seven husbands, and each of them were killed by a demon on their wedding night. So there, there's this, this kind of out there story in Jewish culture about a woman who has seven husbands and each of them die. And so some scholars think that the Sadducees probably took that story from Tobit and they brought it to this time with Jesus and they want to know what's going to happen in the resurrection. Can you imagine how awkward the resurrection might be for this, this family? Uh, you know, so, um, you know, what's going on, guys? Anybody? I mean, who's, who belongs to who? And so what they're really doing is setting Jesus up with an impossible question, with an impossible answer. He's either going to offend Pharisees because they believe in the resurrection, or he's going to offend Sadducees because they don't. They really want to make Jesus hated. And so Jesus answers them like Jesus often does in these conflict moments. He says to them, is this not the reason you were wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He right away calls out these Sadducees and says to them, listen, it, your, your question's a nice one. But the whole problem is you don't know scripture and you don't know God's power. You don't understand the God that you say that you worship. You don't understand just how amazing and powerful he is. And so he begins to explain to them the answers. First, we're going to talk about the scripture because this is the order that Jesus takes it in, the scripture and then the power of God. Interestingly enough, he answers then in detail, citing the power of God and then scripture. But let's follow Jesus' first framework and skip a couple of verses in verses 26 and 27. When Jesus says they don't know the scriptures, he says this as an explanation. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So we see this answer. First of all, Jesus gives them an answer in a book that they will acknowledge is scripture. What is the book of Moses that talks about the bush? You had a one in five shot, so um, it is Exodus. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought we'd get it right away, but it's Exodus. <laughs> it's all good. I mean, there is a chance that there are bushes throughout scripture, so maybe it was a trick question. Uh, but the, this specific passage is in, in what we would see as Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, we see Moses encountering God. 
And, and, and it's in this burning bush. And God speaks to him and, and says to him, I am. This is where we first encounter the personal name of God, Yahweh. The God who is self-existent. The God who is because he is. I am that I am. And he tells Moses, not I used to be the God of this dead guy that you would recognize, Abraham. Or I used to be the God of Isaac. Or I was the God of Jacob, but I am the God of Abraham, and I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. In God's economy, in the way that God sees things, Isaac and Abraham and Jacob, all three of them are living. And, and so when we, we see this, this moment, we see what, what God is saying here, and then what Jesus brings into our understanding is that resurrection is real. Now, that should be for many of us this kind of moment of, yes, that it's not some sort of mystical or ethereal thing, but that, that God is the God of the living. He is the God of, of the real, the resurrected, the, the forever. And so when we look at this life, this life is just the beginning of eternity. There will come a time where each of us will be resurrected, physically brought back to physical life and live with God forever. He is the God of the living. Now, what's interesting is in this moment, Abraham has been dead 546 years. When, when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush, Abraham has been dead 546 years, but God says he's alive in my eyes. He's alive in my presence. Isaac has been dead 441 years. Jacob, 414 years. These guys are long since passed away from a human perspective, and yet for, from, from God's perspective, they are alive. And alive forevermore. He is the God of the living. And, and so Jesus wants the, the Sadducees there and everyone to know that resurrection is real. And he also says this, jumping back two verses to talk about the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So what we see is Jesus wants the Sadducees to see in Scripture, it is so clearly written that resurrection is real and that God's power is amazing. That people will be brought back from the dead. And when that happens, Jesus says, the last thing you're going to worry about is who was married to whom or what's going to happen in the, the everyday spats and, and conflicts of life as it is now. Jesus wants everyone who's listening to understand that on the other side of death and resurrection, life will be different. There, it was a common concept in Jesus' day that resurrection simply meant kind of like a reboot. You know, we, we've all had that moment, right, where our Windows laptop has, has shut down. We get the beautiful blue screen of death. We've got to restart. And, and if you've got a newer version, when it restarts, you might actually have all of the windows that you had open when it crashed reopen. Like, like this, this, oh, everything auto-saved. Life is great. It was like it never died in the first place, other than it did. And it was really annoying. But, but it, it just kind of resets, it restarts, all the, the same windows are open. And this is how the Jews in Jesus' day viewed resurrection. Those who believed in it believed that it would simply be one moment you were dead, the next you were alive, and you just kind of pick up where you left off. All the windows that you had open when you died, when you are rebooted, they'll open automatically, and everything will just be the same. You'll be the same person with the same job and the same trauma in the same turmoils. It, it's, it's just this life forever. But Jesus says, I want you to understand something about resurrection life. It will be different. People won't be concerned about marriage, giving, and, and receiving. People won't be concerned about the everyday affairs of life. In fact, People will be like angels. Now, some people have misconstrued the idea of folks being like angels and think, oh, what does that mean? It means white robes, right? 
and glowing skin and maybe wings. Won't that be nice? And a harp. Um, and we'll just sit on little poofy clouds and life will be... So, this is not what Jesus means. He doesn't mean we will be like our common misconception of what angels are. But what he means is simply we will be spiritual beings in addition to our physical existence. We will be unique and, and, and that life will be completely in a different realm of, of existence and experience even though we will be brought back to this same type of flesh. It will be different in many ways as well. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 paints a picture of resurrection. If you were to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, you would see that in the very beginning of the chapter, the Apostle Paul actually begins to talk about resurrection. And this whole chapter, for the most part, is about the resurrection of first Christ and then the resurrection of all believers physically to new life when the time that has been appointed by the Father arrives. So, in chapter 15, verses 42 through 44, here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth as inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this, So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So Paul is using a metaphor here. He's talking about the body being like a seed. And, and when a seed goes into the ground, when it starts to sprout and do things, it becomes the same seed but different. It, there's there's a, a new thing to it. It's, it's producing, it's, it's growing, it's changing, it's, it's unique in, in what it has become. What was once a, a seed, dry and, and seemingly dead, has been planted and is now risen up to something fresh and new. And Paul says to the church, and he says to us today, that this body that we have, it will one day be planted when we pass away we will be sown into eternity. Everyone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will rise up to eternal life. Everyone who has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Revelation tells us, will be raised up to eternal separation from God the Father. And so, when Paul talks about this resurrection life, he's talking about what it will specifically look, for for believe, look like for believers. He says, this perishable body, and we all know that this goes away eventually, right? That this, this body as it exists now will not last forever. In fact, there's, there's you know, the odds that, that for some of us it could last to the end of the sermon. I mean, who knows, right? But this perishable, perishable body will be risen up to something imperishable. This dishonoring body, this body that is rife with sin and brokenness, it will be planted and raised up to a glorious body. A body that's sown in weakness will be raised up in power. Doesn't that sound good? Yes. I look forward to some power. No more problems with the pickle jars. Right? You will be able to open every pickle jar you encounter on the other side of resurrection. Real power. This natural body raised up a spiritual body like the angels. In other words, not an angel. You don't become an angel when you die. You don't take on the characteristics of an angel in the way that we see them in Scripture. But what you become is an even more amazing spiritual being than you are today having similar concerns to the angels, in other words, not many, and getting to spend time with and worship God. Paul goes on to say, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, 
and this mortal body must put on immortality. This verse, it is not the theme for the nursery and the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. It is instead a clear understanding that a day will come when everybody, especially believers, will celebrate the day when this physical body is made perfect once again. And it will last forever. And it, we will be immortal physically. Not just spiritually, which we all understand, but physically immortal. I want you to understand something about mankind and how we were created. In the Garden of Eden, man and woman were created perfect. They were created to live with God in fellowship forever. To eat of the tree of life and live with God forever in a state of perfect fellowship. Being fruitful and multiplying. That's what God tells us in Genesis. Of course, Adam and Eve messed that up by choosing to rebel against God. And in case you would point fingers and blame them, if we had lasted to perfection to you, you might have very well chosen to rebel as well. And so all of us fall prey to this brokenness that they invited in. We have these bodies that are tainted by sin. We have these lives that are scarred by rebellion against God. But in Christ, we are made fresh, we are made new, and we are given this promise of immortality and glorified bodies and powerful bodies and bodies that are spiritual. I want to tell you, our eternal home is not heaven. It's not heaven. When you die, if you die today prior to the resurrection, you will go to heaven. You will experience the presence of God. But guess what? That's not where you live forever. There will be a resurrection. You will have a fresh body like Jesus. And we will live forever on this earth, renewed and restored like it was in the time of the Garden of Eden. So some of you might be worried about eternity, where all you're going to do is float around, a non-corporeal existence playing a harp. That's not how it's going to work. How it's going to work is a resurrected body here on the earth, where everything is perfect, where sin is no more, where there are no more tears, no more sadness, no more destruction or death. And guess what? The things that we love, we will do to the glory of God. Some of us love to work with our hands and dig in the soil, and you'll get to do that to the glory of God. Some of us love to build things. You'll get to do that to the glory of God. Some of us like to balance uh, accounting sheets, or I don't even know what it's called. I'm, I still can't do that. But some of you love those kinds of things. Engineering, um, there'll be no lawyers in heaven. But anyway, uh, uh, no, the, the, the things that we're made for, we, we, we will do it to the glory of God and perfectly. And we will rejoice in it is what Scripture tells us. Here's, here's the, the, the cool thing, though, that we see in, in resurrection. It'll be completely different, but it'll be similar, too. We'll all be recognizable to each other in eternity. We won't walk up to everybody going, now, who are you? We'll be like, oh, Shelly, you're here. I mean, I, I was pretty sure you'd make it. <laughs> Shelly's my wife. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see people, we'll recognize them, and we'll still be individuals. We're not some, some sort of like Hindu sucked into the, the great universe. And No, we'll all be ourselves, and we'll be the best us imaginable, because sin will be gone, sadness will be no more, disease and brokenness will be forever dismissed. This is what Jesus wants us to understand. When he says you don't, you don't pay attention to the scriptures and you don't pay attention to the power of God, we sit back and we worry about everyday life and we worry about forever and we worry about what might happen when scripture so clearly teaches us that God is the God of the living and he is a powerful, creative God who wants to be us in perfect relationship with us and give us what he always intended, that life of fulfillment and connection with him. And it only comes by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so this is what we want. We look ahead to, to Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's, here's what is revealed to John the Apostle 
in the book of Revelation. He says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Jesus wants us to understand what we have to look forward to. He's rebuking these smart Alex, smart Alex Sadducees. Those words just wouldn't come out. Those smarty Sadducees, he's rebuking them and saying, you don't understand what you've got right in front of you. What scripture teaches you so clearly is that this life isn't all there is. There is a resurrection, and it's going to be remarkable for all who would believe. Here's how the Apostle Paul finishes up his talk on resurrection in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When we understand the the scriptures, when we understand the power of God, it inspires us to live this side of eternity with meaning and some resolve to be the kind of people who stand fast on the truth of God, who always want to do good works for the glory of God, knowing that everything we do on this side of death and resurrection is meaningful because we have a forever to celebrate these things with God himself. I do want you to understand something, though. Our understanding of eternity does not determine our salvation, but it will determine how we live this life. That's really what, what Paul's saying, what Jesus is trying to help us understand. You can be saved and think that, well, we'll live in heaven and there'll be all the dogs and cats and and um, they'll all be there. Everybody knows all dogs go to heaven, right? That Don Blues movie taught us that. It must be true. You can have a completely wrong understanding. You can think you're going to be an angel. You can think you're going to live whatever, however. You can be completely wrong about your understanding of eternity. So long as your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ is right, you'll get there. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you guys remember... If we, we look at our diamonds, it is that we were created by a loving God who longed to be in fellowship with us, and he created us in his image with responsibility to walk with him, to obey him. The tree reminds us that like Adam and Eve, we've all had our encounters where we have rebelled against God. We've chosen our own way. We have told him, I'm God, you're not. It doesn't matter what you've said. I'm going to do things my own way. All of us have fallen short of God's glory and rebelled against him in sin and in so doing earned for ourselves separation from God for eternity or death and his wrath but God loved us so much he did not leave us in that he sent his only son Jesus who lived a perfect sinless life fully God and fully man and then he died on the cross as the substitute for us he, he took the wrath of God upon himself he gave his life for your sins and mine he was buried, and three days later, he was resurrected to prove that who he says he is, is true. That what he says he can do for all who would believe on him is genuine. And now each of us has the responsibility to, with our heart, make a choice. Will we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and believe on him for eternity? Or will we reject him and continue to be our own gods and do our own thing and just see how it pans out. And let me tell you, Scripture tells us it doesn't pan out well for those who continue in their rebellion. 
When you understand that, your eternity, your resurrection life is a set deal. It's in God's hands, and you will experience this renewal. And it doesn't matter if you believe this, that, or the other about eternity as far as what it looks like. You can be saved as long as you believe on Jesus Christ. But what a good view of your eternal life does for you is it gives you a right perspective on life now. Look, if this is all there is, why are we spending an hour this morning listening to some guy on the platform rant? This is all there is, right? But because we believe that there's more than just the flesh as it exists today, we have hope. We're encouraged by the resurrection. We know it's true. We know there's an eternity. And so every little thing that we do makes a difference and it counts. Tip your waiter or waitress at lunch today and tell them God bless you. You know why? Because that matters for eternity. Do more if God leads. But the little things count. Life is meaningful because it will last forever. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it will be a beautiful thing. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you're wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Some of us are walking around in continual wrongness because we don't know scripture and we don't trust in the power of God. We don't believe that he can. We don't believe that he will. We don't take his word and, and live in it and try and apply it to our own lives. And so the challenge today is twofold for the people who are hearing about this eternal life and, and wanting to understand more about resurrection life and, and the power of God for you today and for forever. Number one, know scripture. If all you do, at the very least, is download a Bible app and have it send you the verse of the day, you will be more rich in your knowledge of Scripture than you were when you started. Start there. Others of you, you've been doing a verse of the day since the Bible app came out, when Jesus coded it. And, and, and you, you need to be cracking open the pages on a regular basis and reading chapters and books of the Bible and trying to understand the big picture and, and diving into prophecy and, and trying to understand it and letting God challenge you again. Because when you really know Scripture, you know at least three things. The promise of salvation in Christ Jesus, the truth of the resurrection, and both the hope and fear, depending upon where you stand with Jesus, of eternal life. And then second of all, know the power of God. And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, don't just read scripture, but believe it. When, when God's word says that there was a Red Sea and it was parted, believe it's the Red Sea that was parted, not that, that you know, they walked through some marshlands. When, when God says... He was raised from the dead. Believe that kind of thing can happen in your life. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is the power that's at work in our lives today. And yet we struggle to trust God for even the smallest of miracles. And so I want to encourage you to know Scripture and to know the power of God. Why would we want to do that? Because it brings us to a point as believers that we can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord what we do is not in vain, but it sets the stage for an eternity of resurrected life along with the Father and everyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ. A life that is different, it's immortal, it's imperishable, it's without tears, and yet it's also recognizable and individual, eternal life that's just going to blow our minds. So I want to encourage you, know the scriptures and know the power of God. Let's close in a word of prayer and then we'll sing our final song of the day. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that 
you give and you give and you give and you help us to understand. Lord Jesus, we pray that today you would open our eyes to, to our eternal life. Whether it's a resurrection to life with you or a resurrection to life separated from you forever. Help us to understand where we're at in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be tender-hearted and, and know, are we walking in rebellion and rejection or in genuine faith? And for those who have trusted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would get a, their head wrapped around the power of your word and the power of resurrection and the power of what you can do in their life. I know, Father, that in me, you took a, an angry, broken young man who was on his way to nothing but harm and bad. You saved him and you remade him and I see in the mirror every day the miracles and the power of your resurrection life. I pray that others would see it in this Help us to know your word. Help us to know your power. In your name we pray.